0: When I was going through officer training for the Marine Corps, we had one of the obstacles that we had to go through that was called the Quigley Special. And I've titled my message The Quigley Special this morning because it was a mess. And many of us find ourselves in a mess from time to time. And we're going to be talking about what to do when you find yourselves in the Quigley Special. The Quigley Special was one of those uh, obstacles that was invented by a sadist. And it was a a mud pit that you crawled into and uh, there was barbed wire over you. And the further into it you went, the deeper it got and, it was, and you got more slimy, uh, muddy water, but it was thick. It was almost like syrup, and the, the further you went, the deeper it got, and when you got to the end of it, it was an incline, and you couldn't get out, and so the mud was like this deep, and you couldn't get out because it was, it was an incline that was all slurpy and stuff, and so you were really mired in a muddy pit, and there was nothing you could seem to do about it. And they, that, uh, one of our instructors told us, you'll never forget the Quigley Special. Now, it has morphed over the decades, and the last I heard, they still had the Quigley Special, but it had changed somewhat. But back in 1974, that's what it looked like, the Quigley Special. Do you sometimes feel like you're mired down in the Quigley special in your life? Maybe by your own fault or maybe not. Maybe circumstances of life have just put you in the Quigley special. King David felt that way, and he learned some valuable lessons from that experience. He was inspired to put those lessons in a a song, which we see in the 40th psalm. The 40th Psalm. Let's see what David learned about himself and about God and see how all that can apply to us as we deal with those times when we feel like we're mired in the Quigley special. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Pretty good song. Let's see what David learned about himself. He learned, first of all, that he was helpless without God. It said, he, in verse 2, he lifted me, not I lifted myself. He lifted me. This message is applicable to the person who already knows Jesus Christ but finds yourself mired in the pit today. Or it's applicable to the person who has never prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And you are, by definition, mired in a pit, whether you know it or not. And you can be lifted out of that pit today. You can ask Jesus Christ into your life. And we'll talk more about that as the message goes on. Either way, the condition is described described as being in a horrible pit. Circumstances or bad decisions, how you got there doesn't really matter. The fact that you are there is what needs to be dealt with. You're down in a pit today. We see three things in this passage that demonstrate that helplessness. First of all, we see the fall, the fall into the pit. In those days, pits were often used for storing grain, for storage. And a pit might not be used for a long time, and so it might, the the top of it would be small, and so it might be covered over with boards for a long time and maybe overgrown, and the boards would have rotted. And so a person walking along might suddenly find themselves having fallen through those rotted boards and they just suddenly went from being happy or content to being down in a pit that they didn't know was going to happen to them. And there was slimy mud in the bottom of that pit. And a person can just suddenly find themselves in there. They would be totally helpless. Or maybe they just inched their way there, did not even thinking about the fact that they were going to put, put themselves in a position to fall. Maybe they knew that that place was there, but they just allowed themselves to get too close to the edge, and now they've fallen down into the pit. A number of years ago, I was flying um, to Jackson, Wyoming. And if you've ever flown to Jackson, Wyoming, you know that only small airplanes fly there. And so I was flying in a small plane, and there were just two seats on each side. And when I got on the plane, there was a tall, handsome fella in the seat next to me, and I sat down next to him. And I, on those flights that I took, I usually prepared my message for the coming week. I used the flying time, and so I dropped down the lap. Uh, tray and I opened my Bible and was taking some notes and writing some things down and and the tall good-looking guy next to me said, "Oh, you uh, are you some kind of a preacher or something?" And I said, "Well, I'm in the Marine Corps right now, but I yeah I'm an interim pastor at a, at a church in the Washington D.C. area." And he said, he said. Uh, well, my grandpa was a preacher. I said. He said, "What denomination are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm a Baptist." And he says, uh, "Well, my grandpa was a Baptist." I said, "Really?" Well, good. And we we talked for a little while. And I said, "What do you do?" And he said, "I'm an actor." And I said, uh, well, What do you what do you act on?" And he said, "I act on." Uh, he said, "You may have seen me sometime. I'm on um, One Life to Live." Uh He he said, I I played the doctor on One Life to Live, a daytime soap opera. And I said, well, I don't get a chance to see soap operas very often. Uh, I didn't say I wouldn't watch them if I did get a chance. But but he said, yeah, my name is uh, Dr. Spencer on One Life to Live. And uh, the more we talked about him, and I said, well, what do you do on there? And he said, well, I... I'm involved with a lot of different women, and then he realized, and, and we had a, a fairly long time to chat, and I don't know how many times he said, but I'm not really like that. And he kept on saying, I'm not really like that. He said, I'm flying home to see my family. My wife is in Jackson. I'm really, go- I'm not really like that. You got the feeling that the guy was kind of stuck between desire and conviction. Desire to do the job that he was getting paid to do, and conviction that he was portraying an image that he wished he weren't portraying. I'm not really like, he kind of wished he was more like his grandpa, you know, kind of in a pit he'd allowed himself to get in a pit. He got killed off in 2007, by the way. So he didn't have to worry about that anymore. That's the fall. Sometimes you just find yourself having fallen into the pit. Then the second phase of that is the wall. Those pits were made many times with a upside-down cone, conical wall. So you could put a lot of grain in them, but you could close it down pretty easily with a small small opening at the top. And so if you fell down in the pit, it was almost impossible to get out. You just better not fall down in there because the walls came up over you like that. And so the walls of these storage pits made it where you just couldn't get out. The pit would hold a lot of grain, but such walls were impossible to climb. Did you see the movie The Raiders of the Lost Ark? You see that movie. You remember where they were trying to find? They finally found the ark, and it was down in one of those pits. It didn't have conical-shaped walls, but but you you, uh, oh, Harrison Ford and the girl were down in the pit. and Had snakes all over the place down there and they were able to keep the snakes back using fire, but they had let themselves down use for, out of that small hole using a rope to get down, and so they were down there, and they were really happy that they had found the, the, the thing, and, and so then they were getting ready to go back up, and all of a sudden, the rope fell down into it with them, and they were stuck in the pit with all the snakes and the mess down there, and then the bad guy puts his head over the opening, and he said, Why, Dr. Jones, whatever are you doing in such a nasty place? And he had a big grin on his face. Today, maybe a careful examination of your own situation tells you you've experienced the fall, and you see the wall, and you think, whatever am I doing in such a nasty place? What have I allowed myself to do to get stuck in this place where I am today? Oh, my goodness. The fall, the wall, I'm stuck. What a mess I've allowed to happen. And then the third Rhyme is the call. When somebody is lost, there's almost always somebody looking for them. They call for you as Jesus seeks a loving relationship with you. Revelation 320. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's calling. He's gently calling. Or you call for them. If you're wise, you call for them. You can imagine yourself in the bottom of that pit and you're calling somebody. Is there anybody out there? Can anybody help me? I need help. I need it. I need help. David says that's what's happened to him. He was a victim of the fall by doing by his own doing. You remember about David's sin with Bathsheba. He was a victim of the fall. He was imprisoned by the wall of his own making and the wall of circumstances he had created. Then he shouted out his call to God. As a result of his call to God, he received help from God. He called on God and God helped him. Now there are five things these verses say that God did for him as a result of his being mired in the pit. He realized he was there. He realized he needed help. He called out to God. Let's see what these things are. Five things that uh, help that comes from God. First of all, verse 1b, the second part of verse 1 says, He turned to me. It means that God was just waiting to hear the cry from the pit of despair. He was just waiting. He's anxious to hear that call. God's just waiting to hear us call to Him, my friend. If you feel today that you are mired in a pit of despair, God's just waiting to hear your call. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, because he cares for you. Oh, he loves you. He's anxious to hear from you. Just be humble before him and cast your cares before him. Then it says, he heard me. He heard my cry. More than just the noise, hearing your noise from the pit of despair, He hears our cries with listening, loving ears. When your children, you remember when your little kids got scared from their bedroom? You're finally letting them sleep in their own room by themselves. And they got scared and they would cry out for you. You didn't just hear their noise. You had listening, loving ears that you heard them. And so, of course, you got up and you went in and took care of them. And you made sure there were no monsters under the bed or whatever it was that you needed to do to give them comfort at that time. God does that. He's listening with loving ears for you to call out to him. You've got to take the initiative on that. But he's anxious to hear. Just like the prodigal son's father was waiting for the prodigal son to come back to him. He didn't go out looking for him, but he was there when the son came back. Same thing, listening, loving ears. How wonderful it is to have someone who loves you hear your cry for help. My granddad had a ranch down in an area called Miller Flats, down between Mayhill and Weed in southern New Mexico in the, uh, in the Sacramento Mountains. Some of you may know where that area is. But uh, when I was a kid, I was like... Eight or nine years old, maybe ten. Uh, we, we would spend weeks at a time on Granddad's ranch. Now we were town kids, but we loved to go to the ranch, and he would let us ride Old Warrior. Warrior was a good kid horse, and we would get to go out and help him round up round up cattle out on the uh, on the government lease pasture, and. Uh, one time Granddad took me with him. I, we saddled up Old Warrior and we went out to round up some of the cows and to bring them in to feed them uh, back at the barn. And as we went over some hills and so on out in the lease pasture, we rounded up about uh, four or five cows. And Granddad said, now Joe, I want you to take these cows and I want you to push them over this hill. And when you get to the top of that hill, you'll see the gate down at the bottom, and that's where I want you to take them is down to that gate. And I said, okay, Granddad, and me and Warrior, were going to take those four or five cows down to that gate and wait for Granddad while he went out to get some more cows, and then he was going to meet us down at that gate. There are a lot of trees and everything on those hills, and so I got turned around, and I pushed those cows the wrong direction. And so when I got to the top of the hill that I took them to, which was the wrong hill, there was no gate down there. And, you know, I'm a town kid, eight or nine years old, and Granddad was somewhere else. And I took the cows on down to the bottom of that wrong hill, hoping that maybe I just didn't see the gate. But all of a sudden, I was lost as a goose. And I was scared. And so I said, Granddad! Granddad! And he didn't answer. He was somewhere else. And so I got off Warrior and I got my rope and I put the end of the rope around Warrior's neck and then I put the other end around my belt. I was never very smart. (laughs) And then I went over and I was crying. I just laid down under a tree to die. <laughs> I'd cried for granddad and he hadn't heard me and I, it seemed like hours but it's probably just minutes. And after a while granddad said, "Joe?" "Joe?" I said, "Granddad, over here." He said, "Joe?" Granddad, oh my goodness! There's nothing like being found by somebody that loves you when you're lost. Granddad loved me. Came over and he said, "Well, you're not where I thought you would be, but it's okay." He said, "What you doing with that rope around your belt?" (laughs) But then he said, "Go ahead and get up on Warrior." He said, "That's old saddle. Get get up on the saddle on Warrior, and we'll ride together." And go get the rest of those cows and take them back over to the gate. And he did that. You see, he loved me. He was listening with loving ears. He heard my call. He put me on a firm place, which was warrior's back. And he took me to where I needed to be. Because he loved me. There's nothing like somebody loving you, hearing your call. God loves us. And he's anxious to hear our call. You call out to God and listen for his response. Verse 2, the first part says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He did more than hear the, the noise. He did more than hear the with caring ears, but he actually did something. He did something for David. It's the primary story of the Bible. It's God's relationship with mankind. It's called redemption. When man was lost in his sin, God sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin so we don't have to. With loving ears, he hears us, and with love, he provides redemption for us. It's what the whole story of the Bible is about, the redemption that God gave us. Because God hears the cries of mankind throughout the ages, he's done something very special about it. He's sacrificed Jesus for us. At Christ's crucifixion, God reached down to us. He threw us a rope that we could grab onto. At Christ's resurrection, he pulled us up from the pit with that rope. We were too weak to pull ourselves up. He did it for us. So what's the application for us? Recognize and accept the free gift of Jesus Christ's salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish, but be redeemed, but have everlasting life. And then... He set my feet on a rock. He doesn't just rescue us and dump us. He gives us eternal security. My wife used to be, a, well, when she was uh, able to do this, she was an animal rescuer. She would, I, she's rescued so many cats, particularly, and would uh, find them homes. She didn't just rescue them and take them to another part of town and dump them. She would find them good homes. You see, that's what God did for us. He rescues us and finds us a good home. There's a place with our name carved in the stone. He said, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. And if I go, I'll come back and get you so that you can go and be with me forever. That's what Jesus said. He set my feet on a rock. In my Father's house are many mansions. And then... It says, He gave me a firm place to stand. So it's like He's repeating what He just said. He said, I'm going to give you a rock. Anytime the scripture repeats something, that means it's important. He he gave us a, a, a firm rock to stand on, and now He says, a firm place to stand. Same idea. What it's saying is, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, The solid rock, I said. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless, I stand before His throne. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Christ, the solid rock. That's where we stand when we're lifted out of the pit. So, We've come from the slimy pit to calling on God who will lift us up and put us on a solid rock. And that produces, look at verse 3, it produces joy in the Lord. We talked about that last week. Joy in the Lord. A whole new way of looking at things. In verse 3 it says, he put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. We get to sing. We get a whole new outlook on life. Where we were, a while ago, we were in the Quigley Special. And now we're on a solid rock singing songs. My goodness, that's good stuff, isn't it? We've gone from the Quigley Special to singing. Good life. We're going to sit there singing, I can only imagine. You seen that movie? Boy, that's good. If you haven't seen it, check it out. That's a good good movie about a great song. I can only imagine. God gives the one He rescues a new song. You want to sing. You want to laugh. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. We've gone from death into life. We were dead and now we're alive. Uh, Senator... um, Oh, he just, Arizona just passed away. Senator McCain. Imagine the years he spent in a POW camp. If you've read his story, all he went through, that thing where they tied his hands behind him and then lifted him off the ground by pulling his arms up like that and all the other painful stuff he went through. And then, and so many more people went through the same thing. There may even be somebody in this room that went through that. And Imagine when the time came when he was released and he got restored to his family. I can only imagine. And even greater than that is being released from the muddy pit of destruction to being restored to a perfect fellowship with God Almighty for all eternity. It'll never, ever end there's more. I mean, that's the part. All the way up to now, we've been talking about the me part, but it doesn't end there. We go one step further because now we get to tell everybody else what has happened to us. We get the privilege of letting other people understand the value of what has gone on in our lives. We get to share our testimony. God gives us a mission. We have a duty to the Christ who saves us. That rock is a spiritual marker from which we move out to do his bidding. It is a touchstone. It is a place on the ground. Have you been to Madrid, Spade? In Madrid, there is mile marker zero, a special place in in Madrid. And from there, you can go anywhere in Spain and the miles are marked from that zero. Well, that's our place, our zero. When Christ lifts us out of the pit and gives us a marker and we go from there and everywhere we go, then we share what Christ has done with us. Our mile marker is when Christ came into our lives and straightened us up, and then we can go and share it with other people. My goodness, what an awesome God we have. We can share that with so many. The rock, that rock is a spiritual marker from which we move out to do His bidding, to be His arms, to be His legs, to be His mouth. We share and we share and we share in our family. And Listen, you don't just talk. You live it. You live the lifestyle. Are you a cusser? Knock it off. Don't be a cusser. It's one of my pet peeves. People who claim to be a Christian, but but their mouth is, yeah, you know. So be Christ's. Be Christ's person in your lifestyle, in the things you say and the things you do. Let Christ be in you in everything. Yes, indeed. So how did we get out of the Quigley special? How are we able to do that? Well, I'll tell you how we did. Now that we're talking about sharing with other people, the guy behind you helped. And the guy in front of you helped. You got to put your feet on the guy's shoulders who was behind you, and you and climbed out that way. Did it cause a little pain? Yeah. Sometimes did you get messy? Yeah. Of course you're already messy, but you but you were helping each other to get out of the Quigley special. The first guy there, he climbed up on the guy that was still in the pit, and he got out, and then he would reach down, and the next one behind would be helping And The last guy out, we reached way down and got him and pulled him out. It was because we helped each other to get out of the pit. You have opportunities almost every day to help somebody who's mired in a pit. Are you doing it? Do you care enough? Ask God to give you the wisdom to know what's an opportunity, which opportunities you need to take, and to know what needs to be said and what needs to be done as those opportunities present themselves. Is it a God-given opportunity? Is it the right time and the right place? Then you may get a little messy. You may get a little hurt. That may be what happens. But you leave that in the hands of God. And you move on out to do what God wants you to do. Many will see and fear, meaning reverence. Many will see and reverence God and put their trust in the Lord. So David reiterates, it's not all about me. It's about what God wants me to do. It's about being available to others so that they can experience the same rescue from the pit. The pit of having usurped Christ's rightful place in our lives. Uh, I remember seeing a tract back years ago. It may have been from Campus Crusade for Christ, where it talked about Christians who have allowed Christ to be taken off the throne of their hearts. Now, you don't lose your salvation if you do stupid stuff. If, you've, if Christ is actually in your life. But you could take Christ off the throne of your heart and put your eye, your ego on the throne and you ruin your testimony and you make yourself of no value to the kingdom of God. Is that you? That just puts you further into the pit. And so if that's you, You need to get that straightened out. You need to talk to the Lord. You need to say, Lord, I know I have usurped your place of authority in my life. And right now, I ask you to help me pull my ego off the throne of my heart and place you, I place you back there where you belong because you know what I need to do and what I need to be and what I need to be about. And right now, I ask you to be there. I ask you to re- Uh, reinsert yourself into the position of my life so I can be the kind of person you want me to be. Put yourself uh, off the throne and Christ on the throne, Christian. Or the pit of being hopelessly lost without Christ. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know Him as the Lord of your life? Have you prayed to receive Christ? I reiterate, if you don't know whether you have or not, then you have not. Because Jesus Christ coming into your life is something you do consciously. And it's something you do meaningfully. Ask Christ to come into your life right now. Where are you? Are you in a pit? or Are you standing firmly on Christ the solid rock? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you've never prayed to receive Christ, here's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need to talk to Him. Just say, Jesus, I recognize you as the Son of God. I know that you are who, you are, who, who the Bible says you are, that you are God. Then you need to acknowledge that Jesus died to pay for your sins. And you need to acknowledge that you have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. It means every one of us. We've all sinned. Then you need to invite Jesus to, uh, to come into your life. Accept his death as payment for your sin. You know, the penalty for sin is death. Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So a prayer something like this, doesn't have to be these words, there's nothing magic about this, but a prayer that says, dear Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I know my sin must be paid for by death. I know as the Son of God, you've died to pay for my sin. I now accept your death as payment for my sin and I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and my master. I give myself to you. Can you pray that prayer right now? If you've prayed that prayer or if you would like to talk to a counselor, in just a moment we're going to stand and when we do, I invite you to come down the aisle and talk to one of these counselors that will be up here at the front. And they'll talk to you about how you can know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Christian, maybe you need to talk to the Lord right where you are. Or maybe you want to come down here and pray and ask Jesus Christ to come back onto the throne of your heart. Give yourself to Him and Him alone. Whatever the decision. Or maybe you are a a visitor and you're looking for a church home and Hoffman Town is just the place. We invite you to Meet with one of these counselors as well. Whatever the decision you have, we invite you to do that. Would you please stand just now? Father, I pray now during this time of quiet contemplation and quiet commitment that decisions will be made for you and that you will indeed be the Lord of lives where you have not been in the past. As we call from our pits, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you make your commitment to Christ during this quiet time as the music plays. What decision do you have to make for Him right now? Do you know Him? Is He a king of your life? Does He have His rightful place in your heart? Oh, Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. This is also a time where you can prepare your hearts for any, anything that's in the way of your being able to take the Lord's Supper. If there's any sin that you need to deal with just between you and the Lord, or if there's somebody you need to go to to get things right, or if there's anything else you need to do during this time right now, this is when you do it so that the Lord's Supper will be completely open and meaningful between you and the Lord. Use this time right now. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your wonderful kindness and goodness. We pray that you'll be Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? In 1 Corinthians 11:27 27 to 29, we're given this warning by the Apostle Paul concerning the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. On the same night, the Lord took the cup and having blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then the scripture says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out. Would you please stand and follow me in singing? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. You're dismissed.